What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have two guests, Joe and Shane from Certified Piedmontese. Certified Piedmontese is an amazing beef cattle company, and they sent me some, some meat not too long ago. It's very unique in that it's incredibly lean, but also incredibly tender. And I love the way they've kind of set up their operation. It's very much so a farm-to-fork uh, style of business. So I wanted to get them on the podcast and just kind of talk about that, flesh that out in its entirety, talk about how they go about raising, uh, producing, and marketing their cattle. So I learned a ton. I hope you do as well. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Joe and Shane. And we're live. Joe and Shane, how are you? Doing well, doing well. How are you today? I'm doing wonderfully well. So I've had a few different uh, meat-based companies on the podcast, but I'm excited to talk with y'all because I feel like you've got a, a very different breed of cattle for one, but then a, an interesting story uh, for the other. So I want to kind of just dive into the backstory here and learn about what brought this company to be. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got, uh, if you want to do like, I don't normally have two guests at the same time. You want to do a quick little introduction on uh, each of y'all and, and let the listeners know who, who we're talking to here. Yeah, so my name is Shane Pete. I'm the uh, owner and general manager of uh, Certified Piedmontese, as well as our um, live side of the business, uh, which is called Lone Creek Cattle Company. And um, I've worked um, in our business since the inception, uh, which was in about 2006, and we launched our beef brand in 2011. And Joe here is I'm actually the I'm an online sales coordinator for the company, and I've been here for about six years now, and and uh, it's it's really been nice from the last few years to you know really see the growth that we've encountered and and continue to see you know year after year. I love it. I love it. I feel like you know just for me being in the keto space, there's it's probably because I'm looking more for it now, but there seems to have been an, an influx in interest surrounding you know quality meat based nutrition as opposed to just uh, you know, meat in general. Like I feel like at least within my my circle of influence and the people I'm interacting with on a day to day basis, I feel like a lot of people are focusing on the quality of the meat, where it's sourced, how it's produced, and just the whole process from from start to finish. Do y'all notice that same thing kind of being in the beef industry? Yeah, certainly. And we're in a unique position that way in the fact that we're a very uh, vertically integrated operation. And, um, you know, we can really tell that story uh, from farm to fork and carry that through to our customers within the beef industry tends to be a little bit more uh, segregated that way than, than other protein industries where, uh, you know, may go through at least four or five different hands before it, eat, uh, before it reaches the end consumer. Um, whereas in our case, we're, uh, we... Uh, do a lot of the genetic development behind the, the Piedmontese breed. Uh, we raise the calves ourselves, take them all the way through finish and to slaughter, and then uh, ultimately end up selling the, the finished beef product uh, all across country. I love it. I love it. So can you give me a little backstory on what a Piedmontese breed is? I mean, most people just think of cattle as cattle, but there's several different strains within that species. So I'd love to just kind of have you flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, so Piedmontese is originally from the Piedmont region, which is in northwest Italy, uh, right near the border of France. And it was first brought over to North America 
uh, in the late 70s. And the original importation was actually five cows that came through Canada. And for the next 20 or so years after that, it remained a pretty obscure breed, and it still is. It still represents less than 1% of the total beef production in the U.S. But um, we got into it because, as I was discussing just a little bit ago, we're, we're a very integrated business, and we wanted to find a, a niche within the beef industry uh, to market a, a finished product to our consumers. And we recognize the opportunity with Piedmontese to, to do that. So we uh, were first introduced to the breed um, around two, right after we started our livestock operation. So around 2006, 2007. And, uh, you know, we, we really view that as our, our best opportunity to, um, uh, to launch our beef brand from. Could you talk about the the vertically integrated? Like, what does that mean exactly? So what I mean by that is, um, like I said, we do a lot of the genetic development behind the breed. So Piedmontese hasn't had much uh, selection pressure put on it, like uh, like the Angus breed. The Angus breed has been around for the better part of a century, and it's highly refined from a genetic standpoint. Like those producers, those um, seed stock producers in the Angus breed have selected for, you know, all the characteristics that you're looking for in a good quality animal, uh, you know, high performing or high performance, uh, good phenotypic traits, uh, disposition. We have a number of criteria that we select for, um, and that's to develop our, our breeding stock with Piedmontese. So we're doing that that front end work. And then we're taking the bulls that we select out of that and breeding them to, uh, to the cows and producing calves. Uh, again, as a part of an integrated operation, we do, th we do that ourselves. And then we, uh, we raise the Piedmontese calves all the way through to finish. Uh, we take them to uh, a slaughtering facility and uh, eventually get our, our beef processed through them and sell that all over the country. So that's what I mean by taking an integrated approach, whereas um, in most beef production systems, that would start with like a cow-calf producer, and then it would go to a, maybe a, a feedlot facility, then go to a slaughterhouse and be sold again to a, a, um, to a distributor and continuing on uh, down that chain with you know four or five middlemen in between before it reaches the, the end consumer. And kind of an interesting thing too, to kind of build on Shane's point there is, is you really lose that, that transparency of, of where this animal came from, because once it's harvested and, and then cut into, you know, subprimals, which is typically how, you know, you go to the grocery store and they're cutting subprimals into steaks to sell to you, you know, generally they don't know where that beef is coming from because they're sourcing from, many different producers and, and typically even all across the country or potentially world. So, you know, knowing where your food's coming from and then being able to prove and validate that is, is a really good selling point for us. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, everybody within my space for sure, I mean, the the grassroots, like knowing where the meat is coming from is, is, is key. I feel like there's some things that there's like a shade of gray with, with regard to like the, um, you know, grain fed versus grass fed. It's a big topic of debate within like the low carb ketogenic space. And I think the, the jury is still up for debate as far as, you know, what is the true nutrient density and quality of 
one versus the other because correct me if I'm wrong here, but most beef is uh, grass fed and then it's basically a matter of whether it's grain finished or grass finished, right? Yeah, that's correct. And at least within production systems within the U.S., um, you know, less than 2% of, of beef is completely finished on grass, but uh, virtually all of it, virtually 100% is, uh, you know, calves that are raised on pasture and, you know, they may not go into a, into a feedlot setting or have grain introduced into their ration um, until they're, you know, at least six to eight months of age. And in most cases, uh, you know, they don't really have that much grain in their feed rations until about the last uh, 90 to 120 days um, of their life cycle. Gotcha. Do you know kind of what the difference is from, a, a, you know, a fat breakdown like the polyunsaturated versus, you know, monounsaturated versus the omega-3s and 6 ratio with one versus the other? Um, it's going to vary a little bit, uh, by breed. Uh, so if, if you've seen, um, or noticed with our program, we actually do have a grass finished program as well. Um, with that in mind, with Piedmontese, they're, they're much leaner, uh, animals to start with, regardless of whether or not they're finished on grain or on grass. So when you're talking about the differences, like in fatty acid profiles, it's so, minuscule i mean it's almost not even worth talking about we we have actually run that nutritional information though and th- and that's why i'm speaking from firsthand experience there um that it's it's extremely minimal i've noticed a little bit of difference just in like the the flavor profile of the beef and um i wouldn't call i would i wouldn't call it gamey but you know it has a, a like a richer beef flavor to it uh, when you finish the the animals out completely on grass. Um, I mean, personally, I, I happen to prefer that a little bit, um, but you know, that's kind of a, more of a matter of, of personal preference than I think uh, you know a matter of any nutritional differences to really speak of. I think that's definitely the case with with y'all's beef for sure. I mean, when y'all sent me some uh, like a little sampler pack, and as soon as I opened it up, it was like I had to look for the fat on there. I mean, it's just the leanest beef I've ever seen. Uh, but I cooked up steaks for the whole crew, and everybody said it was incredibly tender. Uh, so why why is it? Is that just a genetic factor of the Piedmontese breed? Yeah, that's correct. So the Piedmontese have an uh, inactive myostatin gene, um, myostatin being the gene that regulates muscle growth. And in Piedmontese, due to it being inactive and causing a condition of hyperplasia in the muscle, there's less room, essentially less room to deposit connective tissue. So that's how you end up with, uh, you know, very lean cut of meat that's still just as tender as prime. There's a few other breeds that have inactive myostatin genes, but Piedmontese is the only breed where that gene is directly correlated with tenderness. So like it exists in the Belgian blue, um, and it also exists in a few other breeds where it pops up uh, sporadically, but not with consistency. And in those cases, it's still not linked to, to tenderness in, in the finished beef product. Uh, Piedmontese is the, the only variant of that gene where it's directly related to tenderness. And that was honestly one of the big selling points that, that I thought was, you know, stood out with, with what y'all are doing because I take a, a big 
you know, I put a bit of emphasis on macronutrient breakdown of the meat that I'm eating. And with most ribeyes and steaks of any nature, really, it's really hard to dial that in and know with any degree of certainty what the nutrient profile of the meat is because, I mean, some are leaner cuts, some are fattier cuts, whereas it seems like with y'all, it's pretty consistent across the board. Yeah, and that's that's honestly a testament to, to the guys over there on the live side of the business in Lone Creek Cattle Company is the fact that, you know, we have a consistent nutritional profile with, with all of our steaks. So, you know, even when you go to the grocery store, not all steaks are created equal. So, you know, two New York strips could be sitting right next to each other in the case and have vastly different nutritional profiles just because, you know, one could come from a different animal and then you really don't know that. You know, whereas with our steaks, you flip over the package and then what you see on the package is, is generally what you're getting with, with the nutritional profile. And, and it's really perfect for, you know, anybody within the powerlifting and bodybuilding space because consistency is key with everything. Totally. What about, I mean, just kind of walk me through like the lifespan of a, a catalyst with, with y'all, you know, uh, what, what can someone expect, you know, working with y'all, seeing kind of, I know a lot of people put a huge emphasis on, you know, the, the quality of the life of the cattle. I mean, what, like, just walk me through and paint a picture kind of of what a day in the life of what the Piedmontese beef cows would look like. Yeah. So again, they're born on, uh, ranches in, in Nebraska and they'll spend the first five to six months of their lives on pasture uh, with the mama cows. They're weaned off of those cows with, um, at that time when they're about six months of age and then taken to a, a backgrounding location and backgrounding depending on the time of the year here um, that may that may involve feeding from a, a bunk if it's during the dormant season but uh, for the better part of the year, that usually means going out to an, another pasture or uh, irrigated uh, farm ground pasture land uh, where they're kind of stepped up to a little bit higher energy feed sources. So we're talking about instead of just pasture grasses, we'd be talking about having, um, you know, like some rye or millet uh um, or other forages uh, involved in their ration for the next five to six months. So then they're, uh, they're close to a year of age at that time. And then at that point, depending on which of our programs they're going into, um, whether they're in the, the grass-fed program, grass-finished program, or the, our traditional core program where they're finished with uh, some grain added to the ration is where they would be moved to a um, – to a location that would introduce some of that grain into their ration for the last, like I said, 90 to 120 days typically, which will put the animals usually around 16 to 18 months old at time of slaughter. And, and Robert, to kind of build on your question there as well, we do um, we do utilize low stress handling techniques on all of our ranches, meaning you know we're we're keeping the animal welfare at, at the forefront of our operation because the better quality of life that they have, you know, ultimately produces a better end product for the end consumer. So it's really a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these operations, I mean, they, they put the, the animal in such a stressed environment that you can almost taste the cortisol buildup in the tissue when you're eating it. Sure. Not having that's a plus for sure. Um, what about, I'm kind of curious here, I want to get into some controversial topics because it's just in the, in the media. You know, a lot of people, 
Uh, like the whole vegan, you know, movement right now is obviously off the charts. They had the Game Changers documentary come out. I'm curious, did y'all get any pushback from that film? Like as far as, you know, sustainably raising beef cattle as a, you know, a food source for humans. Like did y'all get any any pushback from that? I mean, I've, I've seen it, uh, you know, personally, uh, you know, a little bit more directed towards the industry as a whole. I think at the same time, it actually presents a good opportunity for programs like ours who can truly tell, you know, the farm to fork story um, where it brings, it brings to light, I guess, some concerns over, um, you know, livestock and animal production systems uh, in this country. And, you know, that, that may make our product more appealing to the consumer from that standpoint. So the net effect of it to us, I mean, I wouldn't say it's been necessarily negative or, or positive, but, you know, obviously it's, it's gained quite a bit of a, attention either way. I feel like there's just so much energy put forth from that side that argues that, you know, cattle ranching in its entirety is, is detrimental to the environment. But there's been so many, uh, like regenerative agriculture has taken a, a big climb lately in talking about how you can, you know, lower, have a lower net carbon effect overall if you're doing things properly. Um, I don't know exactly what all that entails, so I'm probably going to make a fool of myself if I try and explain it, but can you kind of dive into that or just enlighten me a little bit as to what that even looks like? Yeah, so I, I think that's, uh, that's a very complex uh, discussion that I don't think, um, you know, in the scope of, of this podcast or any other coverage that I've seen, like, really... Uh, dives far enough into it to give it the time that it deserves if you're making decisions um, of your food choices based off of that information. You know, I think what's unique about our operation, again, with our integrated approach, our our cattle also have a life cycle where they're, they're born, raised, and harvested typically within a 300-mile radius. Um you know, before being shipped out to the uh, to the final consumer, which is primarily all domestic for us. You know, a lot of a lot of beef right now is is being um, imported into the U.S. So, I mean, you talk about like the carbon footprint from that. Um, you know, it can be greatly higher than than a program like ours. Um, and as far as like regenerative agriculture goes. Um, I mean, I can speak firsthand because, again, we're raising the cattle ourselves, but we've we've made efforts uh, to convert a lot of our uh, a lot of our acres to um, to forages and grasses for our cattle. And we're not so reliant on, um, you know, the traditional monocrops like corn and soybeans. We've actually taken upwards of 5000 acres out of traditional monocrop row crop farming. Uh, here in Nebraska and converted that into uh, pastures and forages um, over the last five or six years. Awesome. I feel like you, you said something there that I feel like is probably uh, just not really well known, and that is that there's a ton of really popular uh, you know, meat-based product companies that are marketing to the public as being grass-fed, grass-finished, and really kind of targeting this keto space. They have like great affiliate programs, et cetera, et cetera, but it's all coming from New Zealand, I think, is a pretty big source. So, you know, a lot of these people are buying buying this stuff ignorantly, thinking they're having less of a carbon footprint. When in reality, when you look at you know what what 
winds up in totality for shipping it from New Zealand to the States, it winds up being far greater than what you would be just purchasing locally. Yeah, that's very true. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because, uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, um, less than 2% of the, of the cattle in this country are, are grass-finished. So most of grass-finished beef that you see in the U.S. marketplace actually comes from places like New Zealand or Uruguay are, are the uh, two primary countries where, the, where that product's being imported from. And so if you're looking at grass-fed, uh, you know, from the environmental impact, you know, that may not be the best, the best choice if, you know, it's, it's creating a large carbon footprint, um, you know, for the amount of transportation that it takes to, to get that product to the consumer. And it's also kind of misleading for the end consumer as well, because, you know, there are companies, and I'm, I'm sure you know which ones I'm talking about, uh, mail order grass-fed beef, uh, but you look and scour on their website, and, and it doesn't say where it's coming from. So yeah. for the end consumer, you really have to do your homework and due diligence in order to to find out where they're sourcing that beef from, because they're not coming out and explicitly stating, you know, this isn't a domestic product. What's what's the governmental regulations for stuff like this? Like when, when you slap a organic sticker or like a grass-finished sticker on a package of beef, I mean, is that really regulated or is it kind of like a, a frontier in this space in that it's, you know, guns blazing wild west, like there's not really any rules and regulatory systems? Um, so the USDA organic label is, is regulated. Um, the, the USDA doesn't actually certify, uh, any, any companies or, or ranchers, uh, themselves. They certify the certifying agencies is essentially what it amounts to. And, um, that's where, especially with that product coming in from Uruguay, um, you know, there may be some questionable practices there because the USDA has certified, uh, you know, whatever agency they use in, in Uruguay uh, to certify those those ranches. Gotcha. I did not even know that. So I've heard that a lot of, you know, especially, you know, smaller scale local operations, they've, they would have a very good argument for being organic, you know, grass fed, grass finished, but they'll decline that, that sticker basically because it's just incredibly expensive like the way they set it up it's it's more of a, a money-making scheme than a you know to educate the consumer i might be totally off on that but that's just kind of what i've heard yeah i mean you're you're not wrong so well what uh i mean as far as just local operations go i mean i feel like y'all are a pretty established uh beef company in that you know you have a good operation there in nebraska you're shipping um to multiple states, pretty much everything in the U.S., right? Continental only or like Alaska, Hawaii, everywhere? Yeah, we do. Uh, so for our um, online direct-to-consumer shipments, uh, we do anywhere in the U.S., and that does include Alaska and Hawaii. Gotcha. So you're, I mean, anybody that's wanting to, to get, you know, something local, they're pretty much getting that, uh, I mean, you, you set up everything as a local operation, like it's a, it's a, it's a run similar to like a small scale like hobby farm would be in the sense that it's you know vertically integrated it's all from uh you know farm to fork so to speak it's not really coming with a lot of the baggage and adverse effects of larger operations that you know having a downside effect on the well-being of the cattle themselves but then the environment as well 
Yeah, that's that's correct. So we're we're kind of a unique in a unique position that way. You know, I mean, we're I guess we're we're just large enough to to have you know nationwide distribution, um, but small enough to still control the processes our, uh, ourselves internally within the company. And it, it's it's really cool also the fact that we are the only producers of Piedmontese beef in North America that can supply a full 52-week supply of the beef. What, uh, it's like from a scaling perspective, I mean, I'm kind of curious as a businessman myself, but like how how can a cattle company like yourself grow while not sacrificing that, uh, you know, integrity with just the the operation in itself and the the quality control basically i'm curious so we're still we're still working to to build our our cattle numbers um it takes it takes time because like we've already been been at this from the live side for for over 10 years uh but you know cattle have a nine month gestation cycle so like the same as as humans so when you're talking about um you know, ramping up our production numbers. So even after that calf is born, after nine month gestation cycle, you still got you know another eighteen months on top of that to to finish. So um, you know, from the time of of breeding to having finished products to the consumer, you're talking about a twenty seven to thirty month cycle on that. Um, so it does take time to to build those numbers up in the first place. But as we continue to ramp up production, I mean, we're we're very selective about the producers that we we choose to work with, and we and we uh, focus those efforts around our our local area with um, you know having other other producers that we can work with to breed their cows to Piedmontese bulls um, to increase the supply of cows for coming into our program. Um, at the same time, though, it's it's very controlled growth. I mean, we don't we're, we're increasing. Um, I think at at a manageable pace that way. Very good, very good. One of the the big interests in my my community with the keto space is is like a nose to tail approach to just consuming everything possible with on the the animal. You know, as far as all the organ meats, uh, you know, just everything really. Is there is there a pretty good selection available uh, through y'all's to been able to get all of that, ex- you know, other than just the prime cuts. Um, currently, we we don't do a lot of that. We're actually um, just starting to to get our feet wet with that because um, you, you know over the existence of this business, we've we've been primarily focused on establishing the the brand for ourselves and and moving the you know the core products out of the steaks and roasts and ground beef. Um, but now that I've I've seen this this interest in, in a lot of these uh, organ and offal cuts, um, we're actually prototyping a, a, a liver right now out of our grass-fed animals. So hopefully we'll have that uh, soon within the next couple months, uh, which will be a grass-fed, grass-finished Piedmontese beef liver. And um, we do uh, we're looking to. Uh, uh, collect marrow bones as well, so we'll have that item. So I, I continue to see, uh, you know, that segment of our product off offerings continue to grow. But up until now, that's been um, something that we we just sold off in, in bulk right off of production. So it, it wasn't anything that we ever marketed to uh, to our end users. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I feel like that would be a, a really good outlet for y'all, uh, especially for targeting kind of this this lower cart movement. I mean. 
it'd be interesting too because imagine you know the the steaks themselves taste so significantly different than other breeds i'd be curious to know if like the liver for instance has a different taste texture to it i imagine it would though uh so i actually i actually just uh, did some liver up uh, a few nights ago actually and, and it doesn't actually i mean it still has that that liver smell to it mm-hmm. um but it, it ate actually phenomenally well because in my opinion i think liver kind of has that metallic-y type um mouthfeel to it mm-hmm. and ours ours was just a clean beef liver flavor and and taste it was it was remarkable in in terms of liver nice nice it's definitely an acquired taste for some but i mean you can't really argue the nutrient density of liver so i feel like offering that would be a, a home run for y'all for sure for sure yeah and we're excited to kind of bring that to the market especially with the, the kind of more nose to tail movement uh, everybody's looking for livers, and, and if we can provide a grass-finished beef liver, too, that's just another level of differentiation for us as well. 100%. Well, speaking of the cooking techniques, I'd love to to get y'all's take on this. I mean, every time I have somebody that's in the cattle industry on, I'd love to hear. I mean, I imagine y'all know how to cook a perfect steak. So, Joe and Shane, if y'all just kind of walk me through, like, what do y'all do cooking your own steaks? Like, what's what's the best way to go about it? Um, so we actually, and we sent you that, the box of beef with a magazine mm-hmm. and we actually do all of that. Uh, we do that magazine in house. So we write the whole thing and then we also take all that food photography. So we get to play in our test kitchen quite a bit and we have any type of, of cooking gadget and gizmo you could think of. We've, we've got it all. Um, that being said, if, if you have time and you aren't the best cook, um, you know, sous vide is the most foolproof way of, of perfectly nailing a steak to your desired temperature. Um, but I personally like to um, sear, sear steaks in a cast iron because they're so lean. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you needed to get some more fat in your diet, uh, then you can obviously supplement with, with basting and butter uh, or anything else that you would baste with just to get your fat content up a little bit more. Um, and our beef is so lean that it actually cooks a little bit quicker than normal. So if you're pan searing, you know, it's, it's a minute and a half to two minutes aside and, and you're ready to rock. So, uh, that's typically how I like to, to cook my steaks. But, you know, here in Nebraska too, we only have about a, uh, six month, uh, outdoor grilling window. So you kind of have to get creative with your preparation methods for sure. Same for you, Shane, cast iron technique. Yeah, for at least for the winter months here, um, and and uh, you know as, as Joe kind of alluded to, uh, you know if if you're trying to follow a, a you know more ketogenic diet, it's it's nice to add in. Um, I, I like to use ghee or avocado oil, mm-hmm. um, and and cook with that and cast iron. Um, those both have real high smoke points, and I think that they offer a really nice flavor and get a good sear on steak. And that's the way to do it through at least through the winter months here. I've had several connoisseurs of, of steaks like say that their their preferred way is to cook from frozen in an instant pot or not instant pot but like an air fryer, uh, and that's always just struck me as so odd. Like I can't imagine doing that, but they've they've perfected it, I guess. But I've always kind of gravitated to do the cast iron pan searing or doing like a reverse sear with the the Traeger. That always turns out pretty good as well. Yeah, sure. The the reverse sear is another popular one, but that's another one too that. You know, you kind of have to give it some time. So if you're if you're in a pinch or hungry right away, I, you know that's a little bit more labor intensive. But uh, yeah, we actually have have heard from a lot of people about the uh, 
the frozen straight into the air fryer and they do it like eight minutes aside mm-hmm. and they say it's just perfect. But uh, I can't say that I've ever air fried a steak. We do have some coworkers that like to air fry some of our like stew beef and stir fry beef uh, because it only takes a few minutes and it's, it's easier to clean up for them and it tastes really, really good. So uh, they, they like kind of not necessarily our steaks, but more of our our secondary cuts with with uh, stew beef and stir fry meat and some kebab meat. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier that it was really lean uh, in general, which is, you know, in the past I've always kind of gravitated towards getting fattier cuts of steak, but when I am really trying to get things dialed in and track macros, uh, you know, getting fat from a steak, like I kind of alluded to earlier, is just very difficult to do with any degree of accuracy. So I've kind of opted for going for the leaner cuts of meat and then just having full control over the dietary fats that I'm adding into that. So having like a, a good monounsaturated olive oil, avocado oil, or like even, uh, you know, like a lard or suet or something would be a really good option to make sure that, you know, if you're doing a ketogenic diet and trying to get the dietary fat up, you can eat the Piedmontese without any issue. Yeah, and that, I mean, it allows a lot of versatility that way too. So, I mean, you can... You just mentioned several fat sources there that that you can add in, and um, that way you, you know you, you have some some more variety in in your cooking prep that way. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, what's what's uh, what's in the horizon? I mean, you kind of talked about you know how you're going to scale up and everything, which is exciting for sure. But just uh, you know, big picture, what you're going to do within the industry? Like, I'm curious to see what what your plans are going forward. Um, so yeah, we're just continuing to build this brand. We've, uh, we've developed a, a number of value added items in the, in the last year or two, uh, specifically, um, like the beef jerky and, uh, snack sticks, and we're continuing to expand those product lines. So if you haven't tried those yet, those are great options. Uh, again, beef jerky snack sticks, uh, we do a, a hot dog that's, um, phenomenal as well. That's all beef hot dog. And we use our uh, steak trimmings uh, off of our steak productions uh, as the raw material for those. So that's very unique. That's a really high value item that we use in our hot dogs, but it makes for for a great finished product there. And again, just continuing to expand our our brand, uh, particularly our direct-to-consumer sales is our our biggest emphasis right now. And particularly in in, a in the health conscious and health and wellness focused market is where we're putting most of those, those efforts. Um, you know, you were asking about like the, the, the vegan vegetarian movement earlier. Um, and I think people are, are, um, going to start to realize that, you know, you still need some animal products in your diet and, and they can definitely be part of a, a very healthy and active lifestyle. So that's, that's really, our focus right now as we continue to scale up in our production. Yeah, and that's that's honestly the most unique opportunity for us as well because you know we are of steakhouse quality in terms of an eating experience, uh, but but unparalleled in the industry in terms of the nutritional benefits of our beef. You know, traditionally, if if people are trying to eat leaner or healthier, they have to almost eliminate red meat from their diet. Uh, but from a macro or a nutritional profile, you know, the fact that we're almost comparable to Atlantic salmon or chicken, you know, it really opens eyes, not just for the powerlifting or bodybuilding community, but for anybody trying to eat healthier in general. You know, we have several cuts approved by the American Heart Association as being heart healthy, 
which in terms of red meat is, is almost an impossible feat. So to have, you know, not just one, but, you know, five, six, seven cuts of steak approved by the American Heart Association as being heart healthy uh, really is a testament to, to the nutritional profile of this beef and, and how it can help the average family as well as the competitive athlete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I'm definitely not normally one to eat leaner cuts of meat, but I do like the the flexibility it gives and that, you know, I'm not stuck to that macronutrient or micronutrient profile. But the fact that y'all's has, you know, solid micronutrients and is coming from, uh, you know, holistic approach with that agricultural standpoint, I mean, it's not going to be just showered with a bunch of pesticides or moved around and rotated in an unhealthy or unfavorable way for the cattle themselves. So, I mean, I'm all for it. I, I, like I said, I tried the the meat myself that you sent, and I cooked a whole bunch of steaks up for the crew, and they all loved it. So I can't I can't argue the flavor. Sure. Well, gentlemen, I know you got to. And it's also. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's also very nice too because you know once once people try us and they eat our steaks, you know, two and three times, it's really hard for them to go to the grocery store and find a steak because. You know, just the the clean nature of our beef, you're able to, you know, consume a 10-ounce, 14-ounce ribeye, and then you can go train afterwards. Whereas, you know, traditional beef, you'll kind of get bogged down or kind of tired or fatigued after eating that just because of, you know, the fat content of, of traditional beef. Uh, and, and also, too, we make it easy for the end user if you're purchasing on our website because you don't even have to leave the house and, you know, anything over $99 on our website ships for free right to your front door. Uh, and it comes to your house in, in two days. So, you know, it's a quick turnaround time, and it's it's pain-free, easy, and, and delicious at the end of the day. Yeah, I've been really impressed with how easy it's become to just order meat online. I mean, you know, I don't know when that, that trend started, but I can't imagine doing that, you know, five, ten years ago, whereas now it's 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 painless. I mean, you go online, you, you get the cuts you want, you get to see what they look like, what the nutritional profile is. You put in the order, and then a couple of days you got it at your doorstep, which makes my life much easier because like we kind of said earlier, you go to a grocery store and it's just incredibly inconsistent. You have to like turn the packages over and kind of, you know, put a microscope to it basically to see what is good or what is not good, what's gone bad, what's kind of on the verge of spoiling. Whereas, you know, ordering through y'all, it's just consistent every time, which makes life easy. Yeah. Awesome. And that's, that's what we're striving to do is is you know have a have a pleasant consistent experience time and time again because like i said once once you try our beef you're hard pressed to go find something else because you know of the unparalleled nutritionals and and overall just performance and taste of the beef totally totally well i'd certainly appreciate the times and where, where can people go to find you online on social media and and buy some steaks yeah, we're on all the social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, just search for Certified Piedmontese and we'll be right there. And then we also have a website, www.piedmontese.com. Uh, and like I said, it, everything's, you know, available for purchase right there on the website. And uh, we have free shipping on all orders over $99. And uh, we're constantly adding uh, new products to our site. Like Shane mentioned, we uh, are going to have a grass-fed, grass-finished beef liver available soon. And then we also just came out with two brand new products. Uh, this week, actually, we have a chuck roast, which is a three-pound chuck roast. And then we have a 12-ounce chuck eye steak, uh, which is actually a, a pretty difficult steak to find. If you just go to your normal grocery store, a lot of people don't cut them. Uh, but those are going to be incredibly tender and, and, you know, a little bit fattier in terms of, of the Piedmontese 
um, spectrum, uh, but both are absolutely phenomenal. And, and uh, you know, we were talking about it the other day with that chuck roast in particular. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a better slow cooker pot roast or chuck roast uh, anywhere on the market. I love it. Well, I've certainly been impressed with you all thus far. So I'll, I've actually got a conference up in Nebraska here for too awful long, so I'm going to have to make a trip of it and swing by and see the operation in person. Yeah, absolutely. We actually uh, we just missed you when you were up here for the uh, the uh, keto conference there in Omaha. We actually uh, took Dr. Baker around and, and showed him our operation, and, and you know he had to pick his job off the ground a couple of times just because of you know how we do things. So, well, shoot, I'm all for seeing it firsthand. So I will definitely make it a point to swing by and see y'all shake your hands and grab some steaks when I'm in that neck of the woods. Yeah, I look forward to it. You have to let us know. We'd be happy to have you. Certainly. Well, again, I certainly do appreciate the time, uh, Shane and you and Joe both. I know y'all are busy and got a lot going on, but the more we can spread the word about this and just other quality products out there and have a healthier movement in totality, I mean, I'm all for it. Awesome, yeah, and if, if we can do anything to help you along, let us know, okay? Certainly. <laughs>